in college, I, and I'm not a great tennis player, but I, I had a friend who was an All-American in tennis, and, and so I played, played with him one day, and I just whipped him. No, just kidding. That's an Enneagram 3 kind of thought. But anyway, um, I, I actually um, was serving, and I, I probably got in less than 50%, and he just got came over to me in the middle of the match and said, you know, you've got to change your service because... Um, it isn't going to be working for you long term. And so he put me on a path of unlearning. Anybody ever done that? I'm mean, so used to it for you. And he put me and he said, if you're going to do it, and he showed me exactly how do you kind of like your casting, it's whole whatever it was. And I was like for a long time, um, a really poor server for about a year and then got better and better at it. Not that I'm great now, but anyway, it was one of those unlearning processes. And what I want to share with us this morning, and we're going to go through a whole lot of scripture, um, but I want to just ask you to ask yourself this question. Are there some things that God is causing you to unlearn? Okay, Seriously think about that. Where may you be in your life? It may be some things that you've believed. It may be um, some people that you've put in a box. It may be... Um, some ways that you have boxed God in. And he said, I want, to, I want to start to crack the box. I want to break it down and let you don't learn. So I just want to take a second and think about that. Usually God is gradually at work in that area, and you're beginning to feel it. You're feeling some cracks in that box, and it takes time before it actually cracks apart. So listen for a second. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to any specific area in your life? Maybe a voice, whatever, just go with it. So what I want you to think about is that this is exactly what was happening with Peter. And you would think Peter should have had it all together. You know, he went through this whole denial thing, and then he goes through the resurrection, which we celebrated last week, and his life has changed dramatically, and he gets up and speaks to 3,000, come to the Lord. All this cool stuff goes on. But what we find in this is that there was a deconstructing process that was still going on in Peter's life. And, and I've heard it said leadership is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can stand. And that's exactly what Jesus did in his ministry. And that's what the Holy Spirit does with each and every one of us. He has this incredible ability, the art of disappointing us, so that as we can take it, he can move us to a place he wants us to be. Now, the way that this is, is, is seen is when you, you look at the very first few verses that um, are in Acts are the last few verses that we looked at last week. So the first few verses we're going to look at this week. And, and you see that, um, that, that Jesus has been at work in the heart of Peter through the Holy Spirit. And look at Acts chapter 9, verses 42 and 43. We ended this last week with this, this story. It says the news about the healing and the resurrection of Dorcas, or the reviving of Dorcas, really. Um, and many believed in the Lord. And then listen to this. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Sinai, a Living with Simon, a tanner of hides. You kind of go, okay, that's a throwaway sentence. It isn't at all. It's very important to what we move into because when we look at Acts chapter 10, verses uh, all the way through chapter 11, verse 18, this is one of the key stories. 
It's one of the hinges in the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, what we're seeing is Jesus says it's going to begin in Jerusalem. So one through eight of the chapter of Acts are all about the ministry of Jesus continued in the ministry of Jerusalem. But then he says it's going to go to um, Judea and uh, all through Samaria, all throughout Judea, Samaria. And then we see that in chapter 8, the church gets persecuted and people start going. And then it moves into chapters 10, 11, really 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 15, where you see this transition. You almost look like at a door hinge. You, you see the first part, and then there's this hinge between chapters 8 through chapters 12, and then the rest is all the, the missionary trips of Paul. And in this hinge part, if you read these, you'll see Peter and Paul are often talked about, kind of interlocked with one another as God is doing this. You don't need to know all this except for this. Simon the Tanner, living in Joppa, it is amazing that Peter would have stayed there. Because tanners were people who worked with dead carcasses. Old Testament Jews wouldn't stay anywhere near a place where a person was working with dead animals because they were pretty much permanently unclean. But in some way in Peter's mind, he recognized that Jesus was often accused and criticized for staying and associating with those who were sinners and tax collectors and the kind of people you shouldn't. So somehow in his mind, because this guy, Simon, was a Jew and must have been a a convert into the the way, is how Acts talks about Christians, he somehow was okay to stay there, even though in the Talmudic um, Jewish commentaries, they would say that you, if you are a tanner, cannot live within the city. You have to be 50, 50 um, yards or more from, or cubits, uh, outside the city. And so you hear, as we come into this, God's at work. He's beginning to make some dents in the box that Peter has. And you can see it by the fact that he stays and he associates and stays with this person. So here we're going to move into scripture. Um, buckle your seatbelts, okay? I don't know how else to do this, but to kind of read through this and, 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 and then apply some principles at the end, okay? Be- beginning of these four scenes in Acts chapter 10. And scene one is the centurion's vision. <clears throat> And I want you to note through all this how God is directing. He shows up, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You you actually see a picture of the Trinity at work in here. It says in verse 1, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Caesarea is on the coast. It is a Roman political, military um, strength. It It is the kind of headquarters for Rome. It was in that day, according to Roman populations, it was the fifth largest city, um, they believe, in the Roman Empire. It was filled with Romans. It was filled with Herodians because Herod was so wanting to please Rome and the Caesar. He did all kinds of building work in that city. And and in fact, that's one of the reasons the Jews didn't like it. Even though half the population was made up of Jews, he was making amphitheaters and hippodromes. And he he took the whole port. And if you look at it, it's this cool kind of um, port city where it goes around. And he put statues of all the Caesars around it. And then he built a temple for Caesar. This was disgusting to the Jews. Caesarea was not a place that they were thrilled about. 
And here's a Roman army officer. He's a centurion. They, they were of legions of 6,000, and then there was a cohort of 600, but he was over 100, and, and centurions were really important in the Roman army because they had high EQ. They knew how to take those 100 guys and get them to work really well together as a, as a group. And then the Italian regiment. That's important just to note here because it... it there were many mercenaries. There were many um, who were conscripted. When they lost a battle, they would be conscripted into the Roman service. These were Romans. They were like the Navy SEALs. These were some of the best trained troops in an area, Caesarea, very important to, to the Roman political and military machine. And you get this picture of you could not find a person further from the possibility of God in a Jewish mind than this Roman of all Romans, a military guy. That's the picture. He was a devout, at the same time, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household, and he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. And one afternoon, about 3 o'clock, because they had prayer times in, in, in those days, that would be 9 and 3 in the temple, but 9, noon, and 3 were often prayer times for very, very religious, devout people. So he's praying at 3. He has a vision in which he sees and saw an angel coming toward him, and the angel goes, Cornelius! He's not a Christian, he's not a Jew, he's probably tired of the hundreds of gods that are paraded in Rome, which are all very self-centered, very, I mean, who wants to follow those guys? They're worse than you. And he was attracted to the one God of the Jews, who was holy and and pure and good and cared for the poor and and would hear people's cries. So this non-Christian, non-Jew has a vision. God speaks to him and he uses an angel. Just look at all the stuff that's going on here that seems supernatural. And so Cornelius stared at this angel in terror. Now again, remember, he's like a Navy SEAL. He's seen a lot of things. There's a lot of things that wouldn't probably make him be so terrified. But here's a guy, not not what you often get. You know, we get these pictures of little cherubs that are fat. and It's not this little cherub, fat little guy standing before him. This was a warrior kind of angel. That's why he's terrified. He had a six-pack. He was pumped. <laughs> and he's looking at him, and he's terrified. What is it, sir? <laughs> what is it, sir, he asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Which I just want you to note, he's not even yet, quote, a believer. But when God is touching people's hearts, he also touches their wallets. He sees um, in their hearts, these kind of people start seeing needs and go, you know what? This money isn't mine, it's God's. And, and he puts a lot of people to shame, even in the Jewish faith. Here he goes, he, he, God says, I've seen your offering, I see your heart. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter, because he wants to make sure it's Simon Peter, not Simon the Tanner. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives in the sea, by the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of them a personal attendant, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Now we come to scene two, okay? Are you guys with me? Is this okay? Okay, scene two. Peter's dream on Simon's roof. Again, I want you to note how God is directing all of this. 
the whole move, which was unheard of in that day, to even reach out to Galileans. And you might think, well, wait a second, wasn't it pointed to in Old Testament? I can show you so much Midrashic, Talmudic, oral interpretations that had nothing to do with Gentiles. You could make an incredible argument that this wasn't something God was about, but you can't deny the fact when God's directing and moving. And so what you find in this passage, you'll find in Acts 15, you'll find in Acts 11, is, is they bring not the sense that they debated Old Testament passages and, and, and interpretations. They looked at what God was doing and they bent their knee and affirmed what God was doing and how he's leading. So here he goes. He, 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 he where am I at? Okay. Um, the next day, Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town. Peter went on up on a flat roof to pray. So you got to understand, his house is probably in a, maybe not in a Jewish section, because he probably can't be in that section, but let's say his house is in such a place where it really has a nice spot over the, the sea, and you go out, there's outer steps that would lead you to the roof. Peter wants to go up to the roof. It's about noon. He's going up there to pray, and he's hungry. And I just love Peter. He is the guy who sticks his foot in the mouth. He is the guy that makes promises he can't keep. Right? And he's also the guy who, a lot like me, that when I sit down to pray, I am distracted immediately. You know, my coffee's a little warm. Uh, you know, I'm really hungry. You ever get that? Well, you're in good stead. If one of the greatest saints in, in, in the Old Testament is there, that happens to all people. Prayer is something that um, is hard for us and is something that, that really Satan doesn't want us to do. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. It's this interesting place. Between the physical realm and the spiritual realm, at times the veil is really thin. And, you, know, you may have a hard time believing me on this, but it's really true. Uh, that veil is thin because in that moment of falling asleep and sometimes of waking up, it's, you, you see these kind of like dreamlike trances. And, and so that's kind of what's going on here. He falls in trance. He, he sees the sky open. It, the literal word is heavens. And you have to understand again, just like we use the word board, which might be in a board of directors, also a board you pound a nail into, the, the Hebrew and the Greek often would use some words that would have multiple meanings. Heaven has multiple meanings. There is a third heaven where God lives. His will is always done. There is no sin. That's where we will be with him someday. There is also a second realm, which I'll talk about in just a moment, but there's another one used for heaven, which means the sky. Look at the heavens. Isn't it a beautiful day with the sky and the clouds, etc.? But there's a there's one in between that they often will speak of, and that's what this is. The sky opened in the in a sense from heaven, from this realm of the spirit where angels and, and demonic spirits and other things exist. I mean this may blow your understanding, but this is biblical truth. He sees a sheet come down. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals. The sheet is an interesting word because he's looking over the ocean and in that day they didn't have um, powered steam cruisers and nuclear, whatever it would be. that cru- They had boats with large sheets or sails and the word in the Greek is really the idea of like a sail. So he sees in the heavens this like sail sheet come down and on it there are animals and reptiles and birds. Everything that would be unclean to eat in a in a Old Testament Jew who is a Orthodox person who you go, no way I'm eating that. Then a voice, so a voice, the Father's voice from heaven says, get up Peter, kill and eat them. And look at his reaction. No way. Not touching that, Lord. Uh-uh. 
I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. It'd be like a guy at the bar and you go, hey, order a beer. And the guy goes, no way. Never have alcohol touch these lips. Right? Anyway. Okay. Are you with me? Okay. Okay. So, um, but the voice spoke again. Do not call anything unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Three is not a great number for Peter. He denies him three times. After Jesus raises from the dead, Jesus comes to him three times and goes, Do you really love me, Peter? Come on. I mean, really do you love me? Peter, do you really love me, Peter? You know why three times is often used as well? It's a sense of also uh, an idea of affirmation, fullness. Um, the, the Trinity is made up of this full community who is one. He is both many and one in that sense. And what you find here is the first time, this is why I think three is important. The first time I can see Peter going, Whoa, man. You know, kind of wake up for a second and go, whoa, what was I, what was I thinking? That, you know, you can pass it off. Second time you go, whoa, whoa, maybe, maybe this is God. And then the third time you're going, okay, God, what, what are you telling me? Right? This is the third time. And so he goes three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? I love the next line. Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. God's timing is incredible. There are times when God is not, this is not just a coincidence in your life. And, and all this stuff, you have to be careful. Nothing ever is um, outside of what the Word of God directs and clearly states. But there's a lot of things that we have to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important to discern and understand. And not discern out of fear, but discern out of confidence that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Just then, is this a coincidence? I don't think so. Providence. God is moving and working through this whole thing. He's not going to get them to debate the Old Testament to make the decision. He's going to say, how, are, how am I working in ways that are in line with my word? And just then, the man sent by Cornelius found his house. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit, here we another, said to him, did the Holy Spirit go, um, in this case, um, three men have come looking for you, Peter? Or did the Holy Spirit impress on his heart Hey, those three guys you stand, see standing out there, they came for you. Even though he may not have heard him ask the question. And I'm guessing it's probably more like that. Get up, go downstairs, and, and go with them. And the Spirit says without hesitation, do not, do not let your discriminant, don't let your conscience even in this get in the way. That's really what he's saying with this word, because it says it twice. It says it a little bit later without obstacle. Don't worry, for I have sent them. God is in this. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? I mean, in some ways it might be a little bit scary to think that here is a, a Roman soldier calling this guy. Who knows? Maybe he's going to put him in prison. We don't know. But we do know that God's in it. So Peter went down and says, I'm the guy. 
They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can come hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. Why? Because from where Caesarea was to Joppa, it's about 35 miles. It's about a day and a half journey. It could be two days, depending if you have horses, etc. So somehow they ended up around noon. They stayed the night. And the next day they set off to go back to Caesarea. Scene three, Peter visits Cornelius, the centurion. And God again is at work. Verses 23, the last part of that, to verse 48. The next day he went with them and accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. And they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them. And they called them together, his relatives and close friends, which I think is incredible. As Peter entered his house... Um, uh, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him, but Peter pulled him up and said, hey, hey, stand up, I'm just a human just like you. So they talked together and they went inside where many others were assembled. They're waiting to hear. Peter told them, you know, it is against our laws. He makes it really clear right away. I just want you guys to be very much aware of this, that it is against our laws. I shouldn't be here. It's against the laws of but a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this to, or to associate with you, especially a guy who's a Roman of the Romans, our biggest enemy. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or, or unclean. So I came without objection. Here's that same thing. Without his restrictions or hesitation. As soon as I was sent for... And now tell me why you sent me. And so Cornelius replies, four days ago I was praying in the house about this time, three o'clock in the afternoon. So they must have arrived around three o'clock, around the prayer time. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa. Summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the house of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I went for you at once, sent for you at once, and it was good for you to have come. Now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Okay, I'm right now kind of saying, how much more scripture do I want to read? Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God has, shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news that was for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on, tells all about um, Jesus coming from Nazareth. One of my favorite lines is he says, you're well aware of this because you've lived in this land. The news of Jesus is of Nazareth because Jesus was a common name. So he wanted to make sure the one of Jesus of Nazareth, um, you, you, you understand that he went around. I love this, doing good. If anything you get out of this, one of the things Jesus did and he calls us to do is just do good doing good and healing all who had been oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Some of the boxes you're in are due to beliefs that you have to lies of wounds that have that still allow Satan to oppress you. And God through Jesus will break them. And we, the apostles, are witnesses of all these things. He goes on and tells all that. And he says, your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus. And, and catch this. Even as Peter was saying these things. So you're going to have to keep up with me, Sarah. Sorry. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Now, here's a box that a, a, a good um, conservative theologian would have real trouble with. He's in a box that says the only way that a person can receive the Spirit and the Spirit can work. I don't know on live stream you hear this, but we have a buzzing going on. That's not an alarm of any case, is it? Okay, good. Then you just ignore it, and I'll ignore it as best I can. So, here we go. 
Um, one of the things that I think is um, important to recognize about this is that the Spirit comes on them. They haven't even repented yet. It's amazing. God works in ways that are beyond how we understand. He has a mind and understands different than we do. A good conservative theologian is going to have trouble and they're going to kind of work in, here's what was going on. And it, but that's, the text doesn't say that. It says the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they had been speaking in their other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized? Now what I want you to go to is scene four. Acts chapter 11, verses one, the first few verses here. Peter gives a report to the Jerusalem church. It's out that Peter's been spending time with Gentiles and somehow been approving the fact that they are um, have the Holy Spirit and that God is moving into Gentiles, even the Romans are the Romans. And so he says, what you, you see here, soon the news reached the apostles and the other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. Man, mark that down. Because some of the boxes that God is leading you to crack and break may be the very boxes that some others are going to begin to criticize you about. And you're going to be going in your heart, but I know that God was in this. Peter, Peter, here's their, here's their criticism. You what? That's not in the text, that's me. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them? You have to understand, they're not reading the Old Testament and going, oh, remember these passages in Isaiah where he's talking about the Gentiles? There's all kinds of views of what happened with the Gentiles. The Messianic person would come and then Jerusalem and all the Jews would reign and everyone else would get some benefit from it, but they wouldn't be one and the same as them. And there was all kinds of arguments and most of the arguments were that the Gentiles would be like that. They would never be on the same plane. So, Peter tells them exactly what happens. I'm not going to go through all that. And then as he begins to speak, he says the Holy Spirit falls on them. And when they heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They praised God because they saw the evidence. They were aware of what God was doing and how God was moving. So now what I want to do is just take a few moments to ask you four questions and see if there's some area in your life that God might be cracking the box a little bit. Things that limit God in your life, limit your picture of who God is, possibly limit yourself. And the first one I just want you to to think about is, are you willing to let God speak to you however he desires? If you go through this passage, this is post-Jesus from the resurrection. And and some people want to say, well, that was just for the early church. I don't think so. And some people point to Hebrews 1 where it says that Jesus is kind of the final revelation. He sure is the final revelation. We're not going to get anything more around salvation, sanctification, and all kinds of other things. But God does speak to us about our personal lives. And so, first, it presumes, as I ask this question, that you believe that God will speak to you. So I just ask you, do you believe God will speak to you? And then if you do, does the idea that God can communicate through dreams or visions or pictures or a word, does that kind of throw you a little bit and go, but that's not in my box? Or are you nervous about even looking at coincidences and being able to say, God, I think your spirit's in this? When it comes to how God speaks to you, what's in your box? We asked some of the people in our church, you heard a couple earlier, we asked a few more, and I'm going to let them share how God speaks to them. Oh, that's being a problem too? Oh, okay. 
So, Lord, I just ask that you'd give wisdom. And if you want this to work, great. If not, we just go on. Amen. Okay. I just want to share with you that anybody, anybody ever read the book Love Languages? It's a big deal, right? Okay, so I, my love language is um, words of affirmation. My wife's is gifts, particularly diamonds. Um, <laughs> no, gifts basically, gifts basically are, do you know me? So it doesn't have to be something expensive. So she always gets around that and says, that's what it's about. But for me, words of affirmation just mean, man, I really like you. You're the best. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's just silly. But anyway. I'm trying to do those kind of things to grace through words of affirmation and it's not hitting her and she gives me gifts and I'm going, that's cool. Yeah, okay. One time she bought me a, a, a snowmobile years ago or as they call it, Arctic Cats up in Thief River Falls and I, I just was like, yeah, that's cool. Um, you just could have told me I'm cool. Anyway, the thing is, God knows your love language and I encourage you to pay attention to that. And it may not be always the way you think it is. Let God determine what's in the box. Okay? The second thing I want to just share with you is this. Um, It's a question, is there someone difficult God wants you to love? Who gets to be in your box and who doesn't? I mean, here you have this incredible um, situation of prejudice and and, and this years and years of a Jewish faith that says these people, they just aren't, you know what, you don't go with them, you don't associate with them, and, and things such as that. And, and all of a sudden, at one point, God says, hey, guess what? What I pronounce as being clean, it's clean. So you have to ask yourself, when you think about this whole passage of Scripture, who are the people in your box? I mean, the gospel is really clear. Every one of us is a sinner. Every person is made in the image of God. Bless you, whoever got that. Every person is made in the image of God. So every person, even your enemy, is to be loved. Which means active goodness. I just, I, there's a story I think back to often in my life. And, it, and it's your dad, Jessica Anderson. When I was in middle school, moved to Rockford, Illinois. And whether your dad, Todd, wanted to or not, he was assigned to love me. Do good, spend time with me, walk around with me, all the things. I went to junior high, middle, you know, our junior high is what it's called. And he was a presence that made a huge difference in my life. Is God assigning you somebody? And you go, but you know what? They're a Democrat or they're a Republican. Or, or, or they're, they're LBGQ, or, they're, or they're, they're this person who is just so hard to get along with at the office. I mean, they are like so picky on everything. They ask questions that always makes the meetings go. I don't care what it is. Is God saying that person, is that person in your box and do you need to let it be cracked so that you begin to love them? I just want you to take a moment and, 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 and just ask God, what about the way you speak to me? Who's in my box? Are you, are you assigning someone in my life that I need to start loving? I need to pray for? And then the third question is this. It's around the area of Beliefs. And when it comes to beliefs, are there some beliefs God has challenged you to let go of? 
And I want to make this really clear, okay? We believe the Word of God is the authority for our life and practice. We believe that this Word is God's total, um, complete Word given to us so that we can know the will of God and live by it. Okay, so that's just one thing I want to make really clear. We don't judge the word. We don't let, we allow the word to judge our lives. We don't approach the word like Thomas Jefferson, the president did, who took his scissors and he cut out everything he didn't like. And it was a really thin Bible when he got done. Some of you can kind of do that. That's not what I'm talking here about. Are there some beliefs? Are there things that you've picked up, either through tradition or the way you've been taught or your church, whatever? Are there things that are really, truly, are they accurately, rightly, interpreted by the word of God, taking in the context, is God, is, is God in that? And I'm going to give you an example, okay? Because here's one that I remember growing up, and, and youth pastors love to use this. It's in, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. God tells us that in every scripture there's timeless truths, there's principles, but the key thing is, do we understand well enough the context to how the word is being used as a timeless truth and a principle? So here's the, here's the one. It was in Revelation 3, 15 through 16. And I had the opportunity when I was in um, college to go over and see the seven churches of Revelation. About three or four of them were just deserts. I, we were driving through Turkey and we'd stop, we'd get out, and we'd all look around and go, there's nothing here. And they go, well, that was where Laodicea was, which is this one. And we'd see another one. But Laodicea, where that was, it had no water source. And there was this incredible thing that would happen. The, the Romans were bright, bright people. They had these aqueducts that would carry the water from a certain place. Now, other cities near them had these really hot um, mineral uh, you know, places where the water would come up. What are they called? Mineral baths, right? Springs, thank you. And it, they're really good because you can get, you know, it's like, well, I get a massage, you'd go there for health. And then there were other places that had cold, good water that was good to drink and it, and, and it was, it was not mealy kind of lukewarm. And so when, when people have read this, it says, I know all things you do, Revelation chapter 3, 15 and 16, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Here's the common teaching they used to say to us. God hates lukewarm believers. You either need to be hot and on fire for God, or he would rather have you than cold and far away from him. Just either you'd be one or the other. Lukewarm, he just, he'll spit you out. That is, that is not true. That's, that's not what scripture's saying. So you, you have to rightly understand it. That what was happening was, water that was hot was useful, water that was cold was useful, and the point is, he wants you to be useful in his hands. Does that make sense? Who goes to Starbucks and says, um, I'd like one medium lukewarm hot chocolate? Or I've never heard in caribou someone say, I would like a, 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 a warm lukewarm latte. When I order like a hot chai, you know, or a chai, they'll, they'll say, if I just have a chai tea, they'll go, do you want it hot or cold? No one ever says, do you like it lukewarm? What we need to do is say, God, are there beliefs that we've held to that maybe aren't beliefs that are rooted in the very word that you are saying is a timeless truth and principle? And then it may be that God is saying, you know what, some of these things. Because look, folks, we come from Catholic and Lutheran and Baptist and Free Church and Presbyterian and Pentecostal and all different groups. And we all carry luggage with beliefs that we have. And you know what? It, here's the bottom line is we know that God's word is true and we're willing to fight for what we believe is God's word is true. But we also know there are some things 
that I just weren't fighting for, and we come together in unity. So what beliefs are in your box that are truly God's word rightly interpreted? That isn't a religious tradition, but it's a timeless truth. And you and I may disagree on that. And are you ready to be criticized? Acts 11, and I'll stop here. We're at 1059. Band, please come up. And I just want you to know, when you break boxes, I have stuff around Luke 15, read it. Jesus was criticized all the time for breaking paradigms and boxes that were made up of religious beliefs that held people out that said, God can't speak this way. And we are going to be a people that says, God, speak to us. We want to listen to you. And we want to love others. And God, we are desirous to align ourselves with your word in every way that we can. And we don't care what the world thinks or if others criticize us.